in the middle of everything going on, God has been good to us. May I please encourage you that every day in your devotions, you give thanks to God. You, you tell God thank you for what he has done for your family because all over the world right now, it's difficult. God has been good to you. Always give thanks. I want to focus today on a spiritual challenge that many of us have faced. The same challenge that the Apostle Peter faced. It's a spiritual challenge that is going to do everything possible to separate you from your walk with Jesus and from your walk with your spiritual companions in life. All the impacts of COVID-19 are designed to do that. I mean, please, you, you look at this thing going around the world and the pressure it has brought in our homes, the pressure it has brought to work from home. I mean, please forgive me, but when people first started working at home, everybody thought, this is heaven. Well, after a few months, it doesn't feel like heaven anymore. It feels more like the other place. The pressure of working from home, the pressure of the kids at home and trying to work and trying to feed the kids and now trying to help the kids with their homeworks and, Mommy, Daddy, I lost my connection. And, Mommy, can I have the bandwidth? It's freezing. Can you turn off your computer? And you're try you've got a boss on the other end demanding things turned in at the same time. No private time for prayer. And especially in those first three months, no church services. And really, to this day, those over 65 and those under 18 are still locked at home. This has been a year like none of us have ever faced in our lifetimes. Now, there are two truths that we're going to look at today that are what I call bookend truths. And then after we look at the bookends or the covers of the book, we're going to go through that story. One of the bookends, one of the covers of this book is the fact that we are in a season of darkness. We've talked about that repetitively. Luke 22, verse 53, Jesus said, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. And the other cover of that book or the other bookend is when Peter stands with Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus looked at him three times and said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you realize that in that season of darkness, in this story that we shall tell from Scripture today, Peter had been through a lot. And now he's coming back to a place of recognition, spiritual understanding, and coming back into his relationship with Jesus. The story is really going to begin for Peter in Luke 22, beginning with verse 31. Jesus looks at Simon Peter during that first Holy Week and said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded you, demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And you know, I really believe he meant it at that time. I really believe Peter meant it. And Jesus said, Peter, I tell you, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. The story begins. The story begins with a demand that Satan placed upon Peter. In this season of darkness, he said, I, want to, I demand that I get the right to sift Peter like wheat. Now, I ask the question because it begs to be asked, why Peter? Why not Thomas? He would be an easier target but doubting Thomas. Why not James and John, the sons of thunder? 
I mean, make them lose their temper and it's all over. Why Peter? Why is it that Satan had this special interest in sifting Peter like wheat? I think the answer is found down at the end of the story. In John chapter 21, beginning with verse 21, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twins, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the other disciples were together. So notice, it's not the 12 of them. Everybody say, not the 12. There'd been some separation taking place. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. I believe Satan chose Peter, at least in part, because of his influence upon the others. The strength of his personality. When he said, let's go do something, there was a group of people that were, were willing to follow him into doing something, even if it was the wrong thing. Satan knew, I, get, I need to get an influencer. Everybody say an influencer. Everybody say an influencer. Now Satan demanded to sift Peter like wheat. Now if we're not careful, we're going to think that sifting wheat is kind of like watching a lady in the province sift rice. In the province, when they sift rice, they've got this nice little bamboo thing, and they go like this, and it's a very nice thing to watch. Everybody say, very nice to watch. It's beautiful to watch how they can do it and never lose anything. But it's, it's a gentle thing. Sifting wheat is the exact opposite of a gentle thing. This is a wheat sifter that the ladies in Israel would use. It is a violent shaking. As you can see, it's not like sifting rice and getting the little stones and stuff out. This is separating the wheat from the chaff. The entire purpose of sifting wheat is separation. What is the purpose? Separating the wheat from the chaff. Now that chaff is like all the garbage stuff that you see on, stop, on top. And they would shake that thing violently. And so the chaff would fly away because of the violent shaking. The wind of the violent shaking would blow the chaff off until all you had left were the little tiny flecks of wheat in the bottom which are about half the size of a piece of rice. So it's a very, everybody say, a violent shaking. Now think with me. What went on in Peter's life in that first Holy Week? Because sometimes we think, Pastor, you always teach us during Holy Week that that first Holy Week was a great revival, and it was. I mean, the entire city of Jerusalem coming to the temple courts to hear Jesus preach the great miracles. It was an incredible revival. But it was also a time of the greatest shaking of the apostles that they had ever been through in their life. And they had been through some stuff. They had watched everybody walk away until Jesus said, would you like to leave too? And they said, no, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. The great multitudes left, but the 12 stuck with Jesus. But now the 12 is being shaken. Peter is being shaken. And in that first Holy Week, we, we find revival in the, in the temple courts, and we find total chaos in a barcada that we would call the apostles, the apostolic barcada. Think of the things that Peter went through as his life was shaken. He had lived with these 12 for the last three years. Everywhere they went, they went together. Every meal they ate, they ate together. 
except for the times when they were sent out two by two to minister, these men ate, slept, drank, and studied with Jesus 24-7. There was a closeness, there was a bond that had been developed. And now, he watches a man that's handled the money for the last three years, a man by the name of Judas. He watches a man that he had respected who had been his close friend, that he had shared meals with and slept with and traveled with for the last three years. He watches this guy in the city of Bethany get a bad attitude toward Jesus and start complaining that Jesus should not have taken this beautiful anointing oil gift. And Judas, as you put the Gospels together, got all the other 12. And for the first time in their lives, the 12 challenged Jesus as a unit. As a unit, the 12 came and challenged Jesus about this beautiful gift they got in Jesus' face. And then Jesus looked at him and just rebuked them and said, you know what, wherever the gospel is preached, the story of what this woman has done will be told. I am not ashamed of what this woman has done. What she has done was to anoint me prior to my burial. She's anointed me for my burial prior to my death. I'm not going to be ashamed of this. You can imagine these guys going, whoa, man, did we just get shut down? Imagine watching one of his closest friends then Judas get a real bad attitude after that correction and go out and betray Jesus and make an agreement to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Imagine sitting there in the Last Supper while Jesus said, uh, one of you is going to betray me. Imagine how Peter must have felt. One of us is going to betray him? And who is it? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? No, it's the one who dips his bread into the bowl with me, and that was Judas. You could have heard a pin drop in the room as Judas left the room that night. Shaking taking place. The exposing of the betrayer. Then he goes and betrays Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver and brings the mob with their weapons to the garden where Jesus loved to pray to arrest him. You can almost hear Peter's thoughts. Judas, what are you doing? Judas, what is wrong with you? Judas, we've been together all these years. Judas, what is wrong with you? How can you bring these enemies? How can you bring them into this place that we have prayed together so many times? Judas, what are you doing? And then he gets shaken further as he grabs the sword. And trying to defend Jesus, whacks off Malchus's, the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus said, Peter, put away that sword. And he watches Jesus put the ear back on Malchus. And then they all run away. All the 12 disciples, they scatter. Yeah, the shaking has a separating effect. And even Peter scatters. But he follows at a distance. Now John the, the, John the Beloved also followed. John the Beloved was already there inside Caiaphas' courtyard. He had a relationship. He knew the people there. He never denied Jesus. He never betrayed Jesus. But Peter, when he came into the courtyard, people started asking him, you're a Galilean. You're with Jesus, aren't you? No, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. And a little, he can't even stand up for Jesus. This man that says, I'm willing to go to prison with you and I'm willing to die for you, he can't even take a stand for Jesus in front of a little servant girl. He has been shaken. 
A man who I believe with all my heart meant it when he said, Jesus, I'll go to prison for you and I'll die for you. He meant it. But after all the shaking that has happened, there's not much left. The scripture says, Jesus looked down. He probably was on one of the roof decks on trial for his life, being beaten, being mocked. He looks down and their eyes meet. And when Peter's eyes and his eyes meet, Peter remembered, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And this strong fisherman, this macho man, runs out into the night, weeping. But the story doesn't end at the sifting. The story continues in verse 32 of Luke 22. That he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Jesus gave him hope. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. Now remember what we studied together last week. Those he foreknew from Romans 8. The whole, the whole foundation of that great word of encouragement. That all things work together for good. For those who love him and called her according to his purpose. Why? For those whom he foreknew he also predestined. Why is it that all things work together for our good? Because he foreknew us. And because of that foreknowledge he predestined things. Everybody say predestined. Since eternity past God had known Peter by name. God does not live in linear time like we live in. There is no before and after with God. God lives in the eternal present. God was before time. Now, my brain has trouble comprehending that, but I just accept it as a fact. From eternity past, God had known the decisions that Peter would make. And because of that foreknowledge, he predestined things. Now, predestined means to set limits or boundaries. God, because he foreknows us, has set boundaries and limits on what Satan and circumstances can do to our lives. Just like he did with Job. You can't touch his body. You can't kill him. God set boundaries. In the same way Paul says, no temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. But God will with that temptation make a way of escape. There are always limits on what Satan and circumstances and the world can do to our lives. And Jesus is explaining to Peter, Peter, I want you to understand a limit here. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when, not if, not if, by foreknowledge, Jesus knew it was not an if, it was a when. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. We need to recognize in our own lives that in this last year, some of you have been through the greatest shaking, the greatest sifting that you have ever been through in your life. And your commitment to Jesus and your love relationship with Jesus have been affected. I, I don't say that to criticize or condemn. I just say that as, hey, we, we just need to, to step back a little bit and understand what we have been through has had an effect upon our lives. There are many Christians that have walked through this season and they've, they've lost their first love. Some have lost their first love because of the abundance of sin. 
Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus said, And because of lawlessness, lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now that's a scary thought. When you look at the prevalence of sin, the prevalence of pornography, the abundance of sin and its generosity and its, its push for you to participate in it. When you look at it all, the love of many will grow cold. People who genuinely love Jesus, their love will grow cold. Many Christians lose their first love because of pride. First or third John verse 9 says, I've written something to the church. This is Apostle John talking now. He said, I've written something to the church. But Theosophies, who likes to put himself first, another translation says, who loves to be first, does not acknowledge our authority. He said, now, now look at this Theosophies. He says, I'm not trying to lord it over anybody, but I am an apostle. And, and I wrote some things, but Theosophies... He, he won't let people hear what God wants to say. He, he wants to pull everybody after himself. He loves to be first. There are people because of their pride, their love for Jesus. Their love for Jesus takes second place to their love of themselves. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Many Christians lose their first love because they're focused on this world. 1 John 2 verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, kid, I don't say this to condemn, but folks, we need to look at our lives. Everybody say, look at my life. If we're going to walk through this and make it through this stronger, then we need to sit down and be honest with ourselves. There are many Christians that in this time have just begun to love the world. They don't have time to pray and read their Bible and have devotions, but they can spend four hours a day on telenovela. Are we still here? They have no desire to pray and they have no desire to read their Bibles, but they have memorized every K-pop star coming out of Korea. But they couldn't tell you where the book of Habakkuk is. They couldn't even tell you the names of the 12 apostles. But they have memorized every K-pop star. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Are we still here? Are we still here? Now, now, please forgive me, but this world is not our home. This world is not our home. Who is the newest K-pop star? Who is the new telenovela star? Please forgive me. Is irrelevant for eternity. The K-pop star didn't die for us. Jesus did. The telenovela star didn't die for us. Jesus did. What happens in a make-believe movie or a make-believe TV show, forgive me, is irrelevant. What is relevant is that Jesus died on a cross for the salvation of mankind. There are many Christians. They haven't read their Bible in five months, but they've memorized every K-pop star that there is. Many Christians lose their first love because they're focused on this life. John 12, verse 25. Whoever loves his life shall lose it. Now, excuse me. We don't love our life. We gladly lay it down in Jesus' name. Let me say that again. We gladly lay it down in Jesus' name. 
Now, I've always taught you to be safe, to be wise, to be prudent. But folks, we don't live in fear. Why can't you come to church? You're only 35 years old. Well, I'm afraid. Well, get over your fear. Quit loving your life. Love Jesus. Now, be safe. Wear your mask. Wear your shield. Wear a PPE suit for all I care and come to church. But you come to church. I, I didn't hear you. I talked to one person. I said, I haven't seen you in services yet. Oh, no, Pastor. Why? Well, you know, we just stay home. I said, yeah, but I looked at your Facebook. It came up on my, my screen the other day. You'd, you'd done some posting, and you were in this shopping mall and that shopping mall and that shopping mall, and you were celebrating with friends how good it was to go mauling again. I said, you go mauling, but you don't go churching. Now, now, please, be wise, be safe, be legal, do things the right way. Contact tracing, social distancing, alcohol. I mean, do the whole thing. Come in a PPE suit. But we don't love life. We love Jesus. What would happen? I mean, please, think of the weirdest thing. What would happen if China took over the Philippines and church became illegal? Would you still serve Jesus? What would happen if Jesus tarries and a hundred years from now, China takes over the Philippines? And bans all religious meetings. And anybody who is a Christian dies. Would you lay down your life for Jesus? Beloved, if we can't live for him, we will never die for him. Everybody say, if I can't live for him, I will never die for him. Many Christians just get focused on loving the wrong things. Paul says to young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but understand this, that in the last times there will come times of difficulty, okay? We're in one of those times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. Beloved, please, don't love yourself. Love Jesus. The greatest commandment is you shall, Lord the love your God. you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is not love yourself. But everywhere you go in the world today, everybody's talking about loving yourself. Now, I know there is a scripture, love others as you love yourself. Yes, I understand that scripture. But it's like the whole world is talking about loving yourself and your self-esteem and your this and your that. And please forgive me. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And don't ever become a lover of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. God will bless you. God will prosper you. But never love the blessing. Always love the blessor. Now, when you think of all this shaking that has gone on this year, the pressure at home, the pressures of uncertainty, you, you never really know what's coming next. Right? I mean... Now, it's a little better now. We're going a month at a time. But do you remember when everything was two weeks at a time and you never knew what the next announcement was going to be? Do you remember when we'd stay up until midnight waiting for Duterte to make the announcement and they say, oh, tomorrow in the lung. And he's like, ah! The uncertainty that we have lived in this year. The pressure of finances. Now, again, for some families, well, but, but for many of our families, the pressures of finance have been so strong this year. The inability to be in God's house. 
the geopolitical events happening all around us. I mean, we're locked in there. Remember that first three months? We're locked down. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. And then all of a sudden we see on the news that China has taken another one of our islands and we're going, Grabe, how did they get out to take an island? The political uncertainty in the world right now. You know, you, you, you look at the news and you go, okay, they've just locked down Italy again for another big one-month lockdown. They've locked down France. They've locked down Belgium. They've locked down Spain. They've locked down Germany. I mean, you just keep reading all these major lockdowns and you're going, are we going to have another big heavy lockdown again? The uncertainty of it, the pressures of it, the challenges within the family. But I want you to hear something. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Hebrews 7 verse 25, since he always lives to make intercession for us. You, you need to get a revelation of this. There's somebody in heaven praying for you. He's both the one who prays and the one who answers the prayer. That's pretty cool. Everybody say the prayer and the answerer of the prayer. <laughs> he ever lives to make intercession for you. You've got to understand that in all that you have been through and in all the shaking that you have been through and in all the mogulo that your life has been through, the King of kings and Lord of lords is praying for you. The high priest and the sacrifice is praying for you. The one who makes the prayer and answers the prayer is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you by name. Everybody shout, he's praying for me. Say it again. He said, I'm praying for you. That your faith not fail. No wonder Jesus can look around and say, you know what? Kept. Everybody say, kept by Jesus. No wonder the scriptures can say that our lives are kept by Jesus. No wonder that Jesus can look at the Father and say, Father, all those that you have given me, I have protected them by your name. You've got to understand, this protection is not standing over you with a sword and a shield. This is God Almighty who is praying for you that your faith will not fail. Are you here today? Look at somebody and say, he's praying for me. In your darkest hour, in the time of your biggest screw-up, Jesus is praying for you that your faith will not fail. And that when you turn, because you have turned away, when you turn back, he has a job for you. Everybody say, I will turn back. Now, how did Peter turn back. We saw that Peter thought his love went all the way. Lord, I'm willing to go with you both to prison and to death. Luke 22, verse 33. But um, he couldn't even stand up for Jesus before a little servant girl. Luke 22, verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, This man also was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. How he must have felt. He had been sifted like wheat. 
and now he ran out into the night weeping. It is amazing what seasons like this do to the heart of good people. It is amazing what seasons like this, going through the hard times, do to the integrity, do to the honesty, do to the commitment of good people. You see what happened to Peter. But you know what? Jesus gave him hope. Not only, not only did Jesus say, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. When Jesus rose from the dead, he told others, you go tell Peter. Tell the others, I'll see them in Galilee. And tell Peter. Everybody say, tell Peter. He called him by name. Of all the apostles, Peter, other than, than Judas, was the most ashamed. The most ashamed of what he had done. The most ashamed of the bad decisions he had made. The most ashamed of the spiritual weakness that he had manifested. So Jesus reaches out to the most ashamed. And he said, Peter, t tell Peter I want to see him there. T tell Peter I'll see him in Galilee. Make sure that you tell Peter I called him by name. He reaches out to the most ashamed and says, I'll see you in Galilee. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't rejected you. I haven't thrown you away. Now the whole issue begins to come up. In John chapter 21. They've gone fishing again. Everybody say they went fishing. John 21 verse 3. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. Not all of them. Not, not all the 12 was there, but a group of them. So they went out and got into the boat that night and caught Nothing. Peter went back to being who he was before and doing what he did before. Everybody say who he was and what he did. Proverbs says it this way, a dog returns to his vomit. It's one of the, how many people here are dog people? Would you raise your hands? Everybody's dog. Don't you, doesn't this gross you out when a dog walks up and starts eating its own vomit? Yeah. But that is the illustration that Proverbs uses. A dog returns to his own vomit to describe the actions of people. Peter went back to being who he was, a fisher of fish. A fisherman of fish. And he went back to doing what he did before, fishing. And he used his influence not to strengthen his brothers because he hasn't turned back yet. Did you hear me? He hasn't turned back yet. Everybody say, not yet. And before he's turned back in this mugulo of his soul, he leads them to join him in wrong decisions. Going back to being what we were before. Going back to doing what we did before. So in the mugulo of his soul, he, he uses his influence to take them into wrong decisions because he hasn't turned back yet. But I want you to put yourself in his place that night on the Sea of Galilee in the darkness working hard all night and catching nothing. Catching how much? 
The last time Peter had been out on a boat all night fishing, not just crossing over the sea, but fishing, was the night before Jesus called him to follow him. And again, he had caught nothing. I called it before the call and after the call. Before the call, B.C., he remembers failure. And then he remembers when he began to serve Jesus and let Jesus use his boat to minister. And how Jesus told him how to catch the greatest harvest of fish he'd ever seen in his life. And then as Jesus made him very rich, he said, now Peter, walk away from it all. <laughs> Follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And you know what? Peter did. Peter walked away from that biggest catch of fish. It would have made him very, very rich. He walked away from it all and followed Jesus to be trained to be a man of God. You wonder about his thoughts that night in the darkness as they worked hard throwing the nets and not a single fish. I mean, they didn't catch a little bit. It says they caught nothing. You wonder his thoughts. You know, the last time I went through this was before the call. I remember this feeling. I remember this despair. I remember this discouragement. I've been here before. This is before Jesus asked me to follow him and become a fisher of men. As the sun began to rise on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, they looked at the seashore and there was a man standing there. They didn't recognize him. Jesus is in his glorified body. And Jesus yells out to them, let down the nets on the other side. I've stood on that seashore as many of you have. Most of you go put your feet in the water and look for stones with hearts. That's the location. I like to stand there and think, what was it like? What were the thoughts in the hearts? I like to walk up inside that little church and see the stones which they believe are still the same stones that Jesus cooked their breakfast on. Let your nets down on the other side. They did. It was the biggest harvest of fish they've ever seen. Peter looks back toward the seashore. And you could almost feel his heart exploding within him. It's Jesus! He grabs his cloak because he's stripped down to his shorts because they're fishing. He grabs his cloak, throws it on, jumps into the water. I like Peter. He, he, he's so impulsive. Jumps into the shore. Jesus! Jesus, you're alive! Jesus, you really came to be. They, they said you wanted to see me. You're really here! The others come to shore. Peter helps them get the fish. Jesus is cooking a breakfast. I think that's really cool. Jesus took the servant's role in his glorified body. He's sitting there cooking a breakfast. Jesus always has a servant's heart. Cooking a breakfast there on the stones. After they finished eating, Jesus looks at Peter. The story continues in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? He's not talking about the other apostles there. Jesus would never compare us with each other. That's not who he is. The only other thing there is this giant pile of fish. Peter, do you love me more than these? You went back to being what you were before. You went back to doing what you do before. Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me or do you love the blessings that I give you? Which is it, Peter? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Notice lambs has nothing to do with fish. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Another translation said Peter began to weep because he had said to him a third time, the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, brothers and sisters, there's three different Greek words, three basic Greek words used for love in the New Testament. There's about five or six altogether, but the three basics are agape, phileo, and eros. Agape means the highest form of God's love, self-sacrificing love. That's the love that Jesus has for us. The second word is philo, P-H-I-L-O, which means a fond brotherly affection. It, it's a strong love, but it, it's not one that would die for somebody. The third word is eros, which means sexual love. That's not referred to here at all. So let me put the Greek in. The first time, Peter, do you agape? Peter, I remembered when you said you'd go to prison with me and even die for me. Peter, do you agape? Peter said, yes, Lord, I phileo. Peter has now learned to have an honest evaluation of his real relationship with Jesus. Everybody say, real relationship. You see, folks, God knows our love. Revelation 2, verse 19. Jesus said, I know your works, I know your love. He knows the real condition of our heart. He knows that. Everybody say, he knows. Now, he wants Peter to come to a realization. Peter, do you agape? First time, yes, Lord, I phileo. He asked him a second time, Peter, do you agape? Yes, Lord, phileo. But the third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo? Peter, is this, is this where your walk with me is? That's what made Peter begin to weep. Jesus came to his level. Everybody said Jesus met him at his level. Peter, do you phileo? Peter began to weep. Yes, Lord. I phileo. Two things I want you to see from this. Number one, his love for us doesn't change. 
Now, you, you've got to get a hold of that. It doesn't matter what you have been through in this last year. It doesn't matter how mugulo your heart has been through all the shaking that you have been through in your life. His love for you never changes. His love for you is infinite. One of the hardest things I had to learn, and I learned it during the revival. And some people would say, Pastor, you must have been really hard-headed. Maybe I was, but I learned it well then. There's nothing I could ever do to make him love me any more, and there's nothing I could ever do to make him love me any less. He's chosen to love me with all the love of his heart. That is the love of God. Now, it doesn't matter if our relationship is messed up a little bit. It doesn't matter if you've been a little mugulo and your heart has grown a little cold because of sin and your heart has grown a little cold because of more telenovela and not enough time with Jesus. It doesn't matter. His love for you has never changed. Did you hear what I just said? His love for you has never changed. It's never, your love for him does not affect or impact in any way his love for you. Let me say that one more time. Your love for him does not in any way impact or change his love for you. The second thing I want you to see is that whatever level of love you're at, he says the same thing. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He says, get back to serving me. Everybody say, get back to being who I made you to be. I didn't make you a fisherman. I made you a fisher of men. I made you a shepherd, Peter. I made you a shepherd. Get back to being who I made you to be. Now, brothers and sisters, hear me in this. When you serve, he works with you. He does what? You get close to Jesus, not just in prayer and Bible study. You get close to Jesus in serving. He partners with us. He said, I will work with you and confirm the word with signs and wonders that follow. When you do a Zoom crusade, Jesus is working with you. Are we still here? Now, if you want to get hot again, you get close to the flame. Have you ever taken a piece of wood, maybe you're in the province and you're cooking something, and you left a piece of wood close to the fire but not in the fire? Have you ever noticed if it was just close to the fire, even though it wasn't in the fire before long, it burst into flames? <laughs> Some of you, your love has grown a little cold. But if you spend time with Jesus, not just in prayer and Bible study, but spend time with Jesus in serving, your heart is going to burn with a flame again in Jesus' name. Did you learn something today? Stand with me, please. Would you take your communion? Now, we're still not allowed to do altar calls or laying on hands and things yet. And folks, you have to understand, you, you know the rules for entering the buildings, but we have rules for those of us in the buildings, like... Choirs, you know, when it comes to rehearsals and microphones for singers, there's all kinds of rules the Department of Health has on us. And you know what? They're not trying to make life difficult. They're just trying to do what's right. And so we cooperate. And everybody said? 
There's no persecution in the Philippines against the church. The government has bent over backwards to help us do safe services. Amen? So I'm not complaining about no altar colors, but I'm just telling you, we can't do those. But maybe this is not something that should have an altar call anyway. This is something that you and Jesus need to talk about, just like Jesus and Peter needed to have a conversation. This is something that you and Jesus need to go home and have a conversation about. And you need to be honest with yourself. We always try to act so strong, like, I can handle it in Jesus' name. But no, this has been a time like no other. And it has affected you. And you know what? You don't condemn yourself for that. You just recognize that Jesus is praying for you and you're not, your faith is not going to fail. And that you will turn and strengthen your brothers. God will do something good out of this thing. Are we still here? But I would beg of you when you go home today, you and Jesus have a conversation. And you be honest with yourself. Where am I at with Jesus? And how do I get back to where I need to be with Jesus? Because he has no criticism. He has no condemning. You know what the funny thing is? He didn't even bring up the little servant girl to Peter. He didn't even bring it up. Have you ever noticed that? He didn't bring it up. Now, yeah, he did have him... Three times say, you know, do you love me? But he didn't bring up the little servant girl. He just said, let's move on from here, Peter. You ask his forgiveness. He's not going to bring this stuff up. But you need to look at yourself. And how do I move forward from here? In Jesus' name.